I've certainly stumbled, fallen, failed plenty, but I always got up. And I think that resilience of getting up with grace and being respectful of the people around you in those moments is really what determines who gets those opportunities and who doesn't. Hello and welcome to Taking the Lead, a podcast featuring conversations with the most accomplished, admired, and amazing female revenue leaders throughout B2B tech. Taking the Lead is hosted by Christina Brady, a sales leader, lifelong learner, and president of Sales Assembly. This show is brought to you by Sales Assembly, the industry's first and only scale-as-a-service platform that helps high-growth tech companies scale better, scale faster, and scale smarter. Visit salesassembly.com to learn more. And now, let's jump into the conversation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Taking the Lead. I'm Christina Brady. I am the Chief Strategy Officer of Sales Assembly, and I'm excited to have you here on another episode of Taking the Lead. Our incredible show is brought to you by our wonderful sponsors, Vidyard, Blueboard, and Motion. A little bit of information about them. Uh, if you haven't heard of Vidyard, they are the video platform that is built for business. So your sales reps can use Vidyard to record videos that are going to grab your prospects' attention better than any email possibly could. And they're not just a normal, plain video hosting platform. You can create personalized video experiences. You can track your performance analytics and even integrate video data into your CRM for follow-up. They are definitely the enterprise video platform of choice for thousands, so definitely check them out at vidyard.com. Blueboard is one that I am excited to talk about because essentially it's the way to make spiffs actually matter. So Blueboard, when they first sponsored the podcast, actually invited me to take one of their curated experiences. And so when they did that, I had a personal concierge that I was assigned to, and they essentially showed me all of their suite of different options that they have for employee rewards, employee spiffs, employee trips. And what I thought was really neat about Blueboard is it's really hard when you're running a sales contest to do something that feels good for everybody. Some people want a bottle of alcohol. Some people want to go out to dinner. Some people want to do an employee happy hour. And often sales leaders have to pick one or they have to get really uncreative and say, I'm just going to give everybody a gift card. With Blueboard, you have an entire array of different options that you can have to choose and you can make it specific based on the person. So you can run a sales contest and say everybody is guaranteed to get a spiff as the winner that is going to be meaningful for them, whether it is a massage, an experience, whether you actually want a gift card, any of the above. So I certainly enjoyed my experience that I had with them and getting paired with a personal concierge to pick mine and make it flawless. Absolutely incredible. So if you are looking to up your rewards and spiff game, definitely check out Blueboard. And then last but certainly not least, we could not do this podcast without Motion. They are the ones who are fueling it. If you do not know what Motion is or you are thinking about doing any kind of online content, definitely check them out. They are the podcasting service for scrappy marketing teams and B2B tech. They do podcast launching, audio, video, written content, and videos. Find out more about them at motionagency.io. And now that we have all of that, I am excited to get into the content of the day. I have an absolutely incredible guest here. I have Romaine Buck, who is currently the Vice President of Customer Success at Articulate. Romaine, welcome. Christina, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be joining you. Oh my goodness, this is great. I mean, just looking back at your incredible career, 
If you haven't listened to Taking the Lead before, what we like to do on this show is elevate the female icons in tech and talk about their journey and pull on their expertise. And I'm looking at the ladder that you've climbed, Romaine, from being a senior account manager at Monster.com to working at LinkedIn for almost seven years as a manager of customer success. You started as an IC and then moved into leadership. Then you went into your directorial role at Sprout Social and now the VP of customer success at Articulate. Tell us a little bit about your journey and the twists and turns and just how you've done what you've done and continue to climb this incredible ladder in tech. Well, first of all, I'm super humbled and honored to be included in this podcast. And it's been such a fantastic journey and I'm super grateful. So my background isn't at all in what I do today. My degrees in journalism and 25 years ago when I was in college, graduating from college, if you had told me that I was going to be the VP of customer success, first I would have been like, what is customer success? Because it didn't <laughs> exist back then. <laughs> and then I would have been like, what's software as a service? So, and I think my career really speaks to the possibilities when you're open to the journey and not being so married to the path that you're unwilling to deviate from it. So being a journalism major and having that be what I wanted to do with my life and then doing that for seven years and then realizing, actually, this isn't what I want to do with my life, but what do I want to be when I grow up? And ending up at a property management company of all things, but that's where I started really working directly with the public and managing teams at first and really getting that first experience of what it means to marry marketing and brand and and all of the things that come with really ensuring you have a really well curated customer experience. Of course, in property management, your customers are your residents. And then from there, transitioning into more traditional sales roles. And that's where the journey started to really be formed. So I was a recruiter at Robert Half briefly and ran a full desk. So I was prospecting for jobs, prospecting for candidates, recruiting candidates, and then having to sell them, turn around literally and sell my candidates back to employers to get them to hire them. So it was a wild experience. But that's what led me to Monster. So you talked about me being an account manager at Monster, and it was that recruiting experience that made Monster a logical fit and had a great run there and really enjoyed my time there and learned a lot about just account management in general and what it means to take care of your customers in a different way. And Monster led to LinkedIn, of course, same industry, just different title. (laughs) Uh, And LinkedIn was a really transformative moment for me in my career. I got the opportunity to spend seven years there really moving across two lines of business, started in talent solutions, where I was an individual contributor, moved up there. It started in mid-market and moved all the way up to the enterprise segment and then decided it's time for something else. And at that time, I saw a posting for a manager of a sales product consultant in the sales solutions line of business. Had no idea what that was. <laughs> but I did know that the hiring manager's name I recognized because five years previously, we had been in the same new hire training class. So I called him up and was like, hey, John, what is this SPC manager, that team that you're building in Chicago? Talk to me about it. And so he talked to me about it. And three weeks later, I was hired in that role because it was what later became what we called customer success at Monster and the sales solutions. And the way that that came together for me was I started to think about in sales, what was it that I loved the most? And what I loved was having customers, helping them have that light bulb moment of like, this is what I bought. This is how it is going to work for me and really help me 
achieve my goals and really helping them bridge that gap of the product and the problem that they're trying to solve and how the two of those things get together. And so that light bulb moment was really the thing that I enjoyed as well as really enabling them on how to be successful with their product as well. And then developing a relationship along the way that is customer success. Who knew back then? (laughs) And that's, (laughs) yeah. So it was, and then it was just a, a logical steps after that Sprout Social came calling and it was the perfect marriage of being able to continue to, drive revenue because in a lot of organizations, customer success isn't directly responsible for revenue. And when Sprout came to me, that was the role that had been looking for was leading a customer success organization where the success team owns the revenue. And so it was perfect. Mm -hmm. And after that, Articulate came calling. And I've been here now for about 10 months. And it's been a fantastic journey to be able to really be a part of building a new version of customer success for Articulate in a way that they've never really imagined it before and helping them on that journey as well. So it's been, I've been grateful. I'm so grateful for all of the places that I've been and all of the people that have have helped and supported me along the way and for the fantastic team members I've had as well. Wow. Wow. I mean, there's so much there that I want to dig into. And a lot of it too is just kind of our focus of the day, which is talking about just understanding customer outcomes and how we can really make sure that our customers are seeing value and how we truly drive value. And in order to do that, we have to break down to your point, what is customer success? Why does it exist? And why is it so confusing to so many organizations to get it right? But before we get there, just as a female in tech, moving the way that you did, as you went to each different organization, there were a few where you were like, I saw the opportunity and I reached out. But then when you talked about Articulate, you were like, they kind of came along. So in each transition of the business or each transition of company that you made, how did you put yourself in a position to be seen and to be found or to be heard? How did you do that? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say that that really started for me at LinkedIn because there's a culture transformation and career transformation is actually part of the lexicon there. And so this idea that you're going to come in the door, one version of yourself, one version of a professional, but when you leave there, your career will have hopefully hit a different trajectory and you'll be walking out a better person, better professional than you were when you walked in the door. How you get there is really about building relationships, being humble and asking questions, and really seeking out those opportunities and those connections. And I would say that that's fantastic advice that I employ with my teams today and have continued to use that as well. So building relationships, asking questions, setting up coffee conversations with people in parts of the business that you're interested in or that you would like to learn more about simply because you have no exposure. And part of that is building those relationships and asking those questions, but then also taking on projects that are outside of your scope, outside of your Mm. role, volunteering for things raising your hand for things that aren't part of your job description. Stretching yourself and acquiring those new skills is another really key part of it. One of the things for me was when I was an individual contributor, I raised my hand to do new hire training, to be a facilitator at new hire training for the sales uh, folks that were being hired because I thought it would be a really cool opportunity. And it was part of that. And that was a time commitment. So I was flying out to San Francisco. I was staying there for a week. I was working with new hires. It was a ton of fun. It was a lot of work, 
but that is part of what helped me understand how much I really enjoyed enabling people, the enablement yes. piece. And that was, so when it came time to think about customer success, I understood enablement to be a key part of that, but also training and development to be a, a key part of that as well. And so because I had those skills and because I had that mentoring experience as well, that really helped position me when it was time to raise my hand for a, a leadership role to say, hey, I've been doing this and I've been supporting people and helping them be successful because I was doing it off the side of my desk as an individual contributor. So it really helped give me a leg up when I was ready for that next step. I mean, the themes there, it's intense curiosity. It's jumping in the pool before you know whether you can swim or not, but also <laughs> it's that delicate balance of self-promotion. And I think, especially for women or anybody who identifies as female, self-promotion, we're often afraid that we're going to come across as egotistical or braggadocious or like we are trying to over overcome some sort of uh, inadequacy that we have. And so a lot of women are, I often hear this theme of, I'm not really good at promoting myself. I'm not good at promoting myself. And what I hear you doing is this incredible executive level of self-promotion of identifying an opportunity that you are confident you're the right fit for and going for it and making sure that people know that you're a right fit. And so in your opinion, how do you get over those kind of mental hurdles of self-promotion? Because everyone says, do it. And then in practice, there's so much fear around that. Yeah, that's such a good question. And the first thing I would say is we have to get over ourselves. We really have to stop worrying about what other people are going to think about us saying, I want this opportunity and just put it out there. Because if we don't speak for ourselves, who will? And that is often the mistake that I think we as women make is we think, well, I'm just going to do a good job and I'm going to keep my head down and somebody's going to notice. Yes. And it's going to be great. <laughs> well, hey, you know, if you're fortunate, yes, you'll have an amazing leader who really is that perceptive and will really notice you. But your leader has how many dozens of other people that they also need to notice. So it's up to us to curate our own careers and create the opportunities that we want for ourselves. But in saying that, there's a delicate line between curating our own opportunities, raising our hands and being obnoxious and yes. being difficult. And as a leader, I've also been on the receiving end of folks coming to me demanding opportunities or raising their hands for things that they weren't ready for. And when I gave them that gentle feedback that that wasn't the direction we wanted to go to, they didn't take it well, or they flat out just were not so great about it. And I think part of the job in managing your brand as a professional is knowing how to advocate for yourself, but also knowing when to take the feedback and leverage that feedback for growth so that you can be the candidate that's being considered the next time an opportunity comes around. Because not everything we raise our hand for the first time around is going to come to us. We're not going to get it. And that's okay. It is really what you do in that next opportunity, in that space between quote unquote failure and the next opportunity that will determine if you're going to be successful. Because I've certainly stumbled, fallen, failed plenty, but I always got up. And I think that resilience of getting up with grace and being respectful for the, of the people around you in those moments is really what determines who gets those opportunities and who doesn't. 
Oh, that's beautiful. And I love that you even brought up the idea of grace. And what I find interesting just about themes in general of how to be a better professional and how to identify opportunity and how to go for the right opportunities. Funny enough, a lot of it translates to the same muscle that you have to use to be a great practitioner in client success. It is listening. It is grace. It is organization. It's knowing when to speak up. It's knowing when there's an opportunity and when there's not. It's leaning into your intuition. All of these make great client success reps and leaders. And so diving into this idea of customer outcomes and making sure that our client success teams are driving value. The first thing that I hear a lot is a lot of confusion around what client success teams should look like and how they should be built. And you hear people who are like, oh, it's customer support, it's client success, it's account management, it's growth sales. And I often think of go-to-market organizations as icebergs, right? The tip of the iceberg is new business, not to say or downplay it, but it's usually simplistic. You don't hear people who talk a lot about confusion on the new business front. They're like, yeah, they're a hunter. They're new business. They get the logo. We got it, right? It's cut and dry. We can do it. And then underneath the water is this giant conglomerate of one, most of the money in your organization or with your, your current customers, a variation of different roles and people who are touching the customer at different times, who should recognize upsells and cross-sells, who should run renewals, who should help with admin issues. And I, I have yet to meet two companies who do this exactly the same. So to start, why do you think there is so much nuance and confusion amongst customer success or just call it the existing client base and how we handle them? Yeah, it's because every business is different. And what product you're selling, what the process looks like, how complicated is it for a customer to see time to value? All of that are key factors in what your program should look like on the post-sale side of the house. And I think sometimes people forget that there are those nuances. So if I have a very turnkey solution that customers can basically plug and play themselves, you turn it on and there they've got it, We don't need a really complicated onboarding process. We don't need to spend a lot of time getting them up to speed on it. Maybe we can automate that program. But if I've got something super complicated, very technical, that requires a lot of training, then maybe the onboarding time is going to be six months. And so time to value is going to be almost closer to a year, if not longer. And so it's really important that we recognize how complicated is this product and realistically, How long will it take for a customer to see value? And then building the system with that in mind. If I can be biased, and I will be because I'm a customer success leader, I will say the selling (laughs) selling (laughs) part is the easy part. I mean, that kind of looks the same. Mm -hmm. You find your prospect, you understand the business needs they're trying to solve, and then you tell the story about how your product can fit those business needs. You close the deal. Then it comes over the fence to customer success. And the person who bought may not be the person that we're talking to anymore. So now we have to sell it again. We also have to understand how they are going to measure success for this program. Again, because the person who bought in the C-suite is probably not the person that's going to be using it. And more likely than not, they probably didn't even have a conversation about this new fangled software that they just purchased for the entire organization. And so someone else has to figure out what it's going to look like at rollout and building that story and understanding all of the elements that go into that is part of what customer success has to do. And then they have to work with their champions and figure out who those people are, work with the managers to really make sure that there's going to be a top down 
programmatic approach to incorporating this new software into their program and then ensuring that the end users are comfortable with the product, feel confident with the product and know how to use the product so they can be successful because then it flips and then it's a bottoms up approach because getting those end users to love your product is critical Mm -hmm. to ensuring you have a greater likelihood of renewal because the managers should be asking the end users, hey, what do you think? How's it going? Is this working or not working? You want your end users to be your raving fans so that they can then say, yeah, I can't live without this. And it's really helping me up my level of expertise in X, Y, or Z. But every organization is different. And so how they implement customer success, even how they define customer success is different. I've been in organizations where customer success was not responsible for the renewal. So it was really about onboarding, engagement, and training, and really ensuring that the customers just had the nuts and bolts Mm -hmm. and knew how to be successful. I've been in other organizations where the customer success team was responsible for the renewal. So they were, Mm -hmm. they had a quota, they were responsible for revenue, and then they partnered with a sales rep simply on growth opportunities. And now it's kind of more of the latter at Articulate where the customer success managers are responsible for the renewals, but we're focusing on switching the way that customer success actually works at Articulate because it used to be a very reactive model. The team was very small and customers were raising their hands coming into a queue and the CSMs were getting the cases out of the queue and responding. So there was no continuity amongst the CSM and customer. So it was basically whatever CSM got to it in the case queue, they were, that's who was going to talk to the customer that day. And so we've been spending the last several months just reimagining that on our side of the house too to shift to a much more proactive strategic model that's really going to allow the CSMs the opportunity to build relationships, get to know their customers, understand why the customer bought in the first place, understand how success will be defined within their organization, and then help them connect the dots about how Articulate can help them get there. It's different depending on where you go. That was a very long answer to your question, Christina, um, but it's clearly a complicated situation that we're working with. Oh, but it was a good answer. It was a good answer because (laughs) I mean, what you talked about doing is not easy. Like any kind of organizational shift on the client success or customer success side of the house, when you're looking at managing the entire life cycle of a customer, you're thinking about, to your point, all different kinds of things. You're thinking about the upsell. You're thinking about the renewal. You're thinking about the NPS and the customer satisfaction, the risk mitigation, the product adoption. And you have one person or a small team of people who are trying to manage all of these things. And what it comes down to, and what I feel like your main point there was, you have to find a way to identify the root of your customer's organizational pain and their need. And the answer to that doesn't live with one person. And it usually doesn't live with your buyer. By your buyer, I mean the person who writes the check or the person who signs the agreement. And that's where I think client success gets caught up a lot because I have to figure out who am I delivering value to versus who needs to actually be aware of the value delivered. It's the end user and the champion. And usually your champions are your champions because they either are the end user or they work directly with them. But then there's this disconnection with the buyer, right? So we spend all year with the champion and the end users, making sure they're very, very happy And they're able to identify pain, but then we go back to our buyer very consistently because our own org demands that we do so. And so in your experience with all of these different processes needed and all these different people in play, 
where should client success focus to get down to the root of what they need to, which is that organizational pain and that organizational need? Where do they start? Yeah, they start with sales. So that's where the handoff becomes so critical. Mm. So from the point that the deal gets closed to it's coming over the fence to customer success, that's where customer success needs to start. They need to be in lockstep with that sales rep to really understand what are they trying to accomplish with this product they just bought from us? What is it that they want? Why did they come here in the first place? And that needs to be passed over to the customer success team. And so when we get on the phone the first time and say, hey, welcome to Articulate. We're so excited that you've chosen us. I understand in talking to John, your sales rep, that you're looking to accomplish X, Y, and Z. Is that still the case for you? And that's where it starts. Because if we can map out what they're trying to accomplish, we can build that into our process the whole way and ensure we never lose sight of that. So that when we're doing our quarterly business reviews, we can check back on those success metrics and say, so this is why you came to us. And this is how we're doing. How are things looking on your end? And really make sure we're being super consultative in that way. Without that knowledge transfer, without asking those questions on the front end, we can definitely set ourselves up for an uphill battle on the back end. Okay. The fact that you said that this lives at the handoff, my heart is singing right now (laughs) (laughs) because I think you're right that so many client success professionals spend the majority of their time trying to learn what the new business rep knows because they had those conversations Mm -hmm. and then trying to translate that into providing actual value versus what I call the wish value, which is I'm selling Mm -hmm. you the dream. We're talking about what you wish this product to do. And then, you know, it's where the rubber meets the road and it's the actual thing that's happening with client success. And so, so handoff, I want to dive in there for a moment because when you said that, I nearly jumped out of my seat because I was like, yes, <laughs> it does live there. And I wanted to jump out of my seat because I've seen so many organizations, even organizations that I've run, do this so poorly. Mm-hmm. So starting with a handoff, there's a lot of steps that are there, but what do you think are just some of the key foundational aspects of getting the handoff right? Like you mentioned that the client success rep on their first call, they're onboarding their kickoff call saying, I see that you want these four things. Is that correct? Does something like that live in a CRM? Like organizationally, how do the two sides of the house communicate so that that handoff can be smooth? Yeah, ideally it does live in your CRM because people move, people change, people Swap. We swap territories all the time. And sometimes we don't always have the benefit of being able to walk over to someone's desk or send them a Slack message or ping them directly and say, hey, you sold this. What was their deal? And so we set ourselves up for minimizing that knowledge loss if we put it in in a CRM that it will live in perpetuity. And I think ideally that's the right way to go. But on the back end, we should also have that human interaction of just an email from sales rep to the rep who's getting it on the success side to say, hey, just sold this deal. Here's your main contact. This is what they're super interested in. Going to connect you via an email to intro you. And handoff is easy. And that also eliminates what we often see too is after the sale, the customer has a question or the customer has a problem. And they're instead of going back to their customer success manager, who's now responsible for their account, Mm -hmm. they're going all the way back to their AE who sold it months ago and who's moved on and who no longer cares because they're onto other things. And so if we make that introduction a warm handoff at the beginning, 
and supplement that with the details in a CRM, I think that really helps close the knowledge gap and ensure that the customer knows they are now in good hands with someone else to ensure they're successful and are going to see ROI throughout their process. No one does it well. It's, I mean, <laughs> to your point. Right. Because like, I feel like when we start to outline the steps of doing it really well, you start to hit up against, okay, is this scalable? Because it feels so manual. But then the more you look to automate it, the less personal touch you get. And the more you wind up with having to redo discovery at the time of onboarding. And that actually makes me think of there's two schools of thought to handoff. And one is you want the new business reps onus to be to get as much discovery information as possible, even after they get the yes for the deal, right? Because most new business people get the yes, sign the contract, move on. But there's one school of thought that it's you have to do a thorough enough job at new business that you are guaranteeing that logo is not going to churn when they move over to client success. And you're putting that all down somewhere. So the onus is on the new business team to get that with the customer. And the other school of thought is the onus is actually on client success. When they're doing that onboarding and that kickoff, they should actually do a deep level of discovery and get what they need to keep it going. There's pros and cons of each. The biggest con I can think of is making a customer do discovery with you twice. Like that's a horrible experience. But which way do you think, where does that onus lay? Yeah, I think you're right on both accounts. The onus is on the new business side of the house to ask all of the questions, but that's where the CRM comes in because they can put it in there so that the CSM doesn't have to ask all of those questions again because it's already there. So instead of doing the discovery all over again, they are simply confirming what we've already been told. So that creates a client experience of, oh, you people really are talking to each other. So I don't have to answer all the same questions again. You guys actually know what you're doing. This is really cool. Where doing that discovery becomes necessary is to the point we talked about earlier. Your C-level's buying, but your director is now the person who's responsible for rolling this program out across the organization. So the C-level has tossed it down to a director and said, hey, make this work. The director is now the person that's talking to the customer success manager. And so the savvy customer success manager in a perfect world would still see those notes that were in the CRM and say, so I talked to Emily, your CEO, and she told me that you're trying to accomplish this. Is there anything else that we should add to this list? Mm -hmm. And then go from there. And so instead of it being like the relationship is starting from scratch, it's an informed relationship that we can build on. And then it becomes a much more cohesive experience end to end. I want to call this out and make sure that everybody understands what you've just laid out there, because there's a big difference between managing a customer lifecycle and doing discovery from the ground up in each interaction. And I've heard that coached before, where every time you get on a phone with a customer, you got to do discovery. And people don't make the connection that it means you want to build on top of what you've already learned. You should always be increasing the amount of knowledge and not making them start over. And I didn't really understand the impact that that had on customers until I thought about how the way that so many client success teams treat their customers are kind of like emergency room doctors. And what, and what I mean by that is when I when I was pregnant with my son, Chicago winters are brutal. And I was trying to climb over. I mean, I was very I was like seven months pregnant with him. And I was trying to climb over this small snowbank to get into an Uber. And I slipped and I fell right on my stomach. And I was terrified. And so I got into the Uber and I said, instead of taking me home, can you take me to the hospital? I'm terrified. And I get into the ER and 
triage asks me what happened. I'm like, okay, this happened. And of course, the first time I explain it to anybody, it's very, very detailed. I'm like, I stepped on this, I went up here, and it's the whole story. And then they take you back and the first nurse comes in and says, okay, so what happened? And you're like, okay. And you tell them all over again, but it's a little bit less detailed, right? Cause you're like, I just, I already told triage. And then the first ER doctor comes in, they're like, all right, so tell me what happened. And you're like, like the whole thing. Okay. And then it's even less detailed. And I'm not kidding you. By the time I left that ER visit, I had explained exactly what happened with less and less detail, but no changes six or seven times. And by the last time I was so frustrated because in my mind, I'm like, is there a reason you're having me rehash it? Why do I have to keep saying this? Are you not keeping notes? I'm wasting my time. And I had this aha moment, this epiphany when I was leaving because I can only think about work all the time (laughs) because I love it. But I was like, oh my gosh, that's what we're doing to our customers. We're not getting down to the outcomes they're looking for or the pain they're looking for because we spend so much time relitigating the same questions over and over again and make them go, I don't want to get on the phone with you anymore because I've already told you everything you need to know. You're absolutely right. And I love that you called that out because that is really the crux of it. It's not doing discovery from scratch and asking the same stinking questions over and over again. It is building on what you know to advance the relationship forward. That's how we build trust. And that's how we build connections. And that's how we build loyalty is by helping our customers understand that, yes, I do hear you. I do understand your business and I'm going to help you get there. That's what we do every day. I have a hard question for you. And it's the last one in this realm, but it's important. What you just outlined there is without a doubt, the right thing to do. I can imagine it's incredibly hard to enable because it's different for every single customer and there's the process, but then there is also the methodology, right? So the process is I know that every time I get on the call with a customer, I have to uncover these things and I have to do a build on my discovery, but the methodology there, how do you train on that? Because it feels so customized and it feels like you have to use your intuition and the way that you pivot a discovery for one customer is going to be very different than another. So how do you enable your people to be able to think critically like that in the moment? Yeah. And enablement is the key part. So one of the first roles that we filled as I came into this VP role at Articulate was for an enablement manager for customer success specifically, because Mm. there was a gap there. We also have embarked on a journey this year with the challenger sales methodology, because the way success at Articulate was done, it was a very, as I mentioned, very reactive. So part of what we're doing this year is reorienting the entire organization around what it means to be proactive and strategic in a true customer success fashion. So Challenger is laying that groundwork for us really nicely about what does it look like? How do you understand your customer, uncover that pain, but also lead with some insights related to their business, the industry, your industry specifically, to really help uncover some of those pain points that the customer may be experiencing, or maybe some gaps they don't even realize that they have until we help highlight them for them. And then we're leveraging our amazing customer success enablement manager to really build out some more structure there. And so we're doing weekly sessions, weekly enablement sessions with the team to reinforce some of those principles that we're learning through Challenger to really help make some of those connections because it's really hard 
change management is what we do not only with our customers, but as leaders, obviously what we do with our teams, right? So, and we know it's not easy. And so changing hearts and minds in customer success is part of the job, but really making sure we have those foundational skills is critical. Really helping the team understand this is what we're trying to accomplish, which is being strategic, thoughtful advisors for our customers who are proactive and really understand what's important to our customers. And that starts by understanding why did they buy. Gainsight has that amazing equation that I love, which is CS equals CX plus CO. I don't know if you're familiar with it. And the CS is obviously customer success, but the components of that are customer experience plus customer outcomes. So the idea here is everyone who comes in contact with a customer is responsible for customer experience, not just the people who have customer success or customer experience in their titles. Every bit of it, from marketing to sales, pre-sales to support, IT, the whole nine yards, everyone is responsible for curating and ensuring the customer has a really great experience. You add that to their outcomes. What are they trying to accomplish? Why did they buy in the first place? You put those two things together, that's how we get customer success. So it's an entire journey that involves everyone within an organization. And I think one of the struggles that some organizations have is really understanding that it's everyone's job, not just customer success's job. And when you understand that and everyone's doing their part, then retaining customers becomes easier. I mean, one, I love that you gave us an equation because my mind works like yours. I'm like, yes, that is it. But two, like thematically what you said there about, I mean, I think of client success. If your go-to-market organization is a body, client success is the blood. Your blood is everywhere in your entire body and no piece can function without it. And if you view it as compartmentalized, you're making a big mistake. And so thinking of your client success team like that, like they are the lifeblood of your go-to-market body and they should be working intermixed with everybody. Like, absolutely. And when you talked about weekly enablement, I mean, again, I'm basically levitating in a great way. I'm floating (laughs) floating high on all of your incredible advice. (laughs) So this so far has been a wonderful conversation. And before we end, we have to do what we do every episode, which is the rapid reveal. All right. If you are not familiar with the rapid reveal, I've got five (laughs) questions for you. They're going to get a little deep and you've got uh, Mm -hmm. 60 seconds or less to answer each. So if you're down for that, let's dive in. What do you think? Let's do it. I'm ready. Okay. Number one rapid reveal question. What is your earliest childhood memory? It would be being a little girl in Guyana, which is where I grew up. And my dad leaving to go pick up my brother from school and trying to leave without me because I would slow him down. And I looked around and realized, wait, it's about that time. Mind you, I didn't have a watch. I was like maybe two, but my dad wasn't there. And I knew that it was time. And I ran out of the house, ran out of the gate, and he was walking down the street. And I caught up to him. And I remember him turning around and looking at me and laughing and taking my hand and walking me down the street to go to school to pick up my brother. Okay. Well, uh, I can tell there's a big difference between when I wasn't a mom and now that I am. And I don't know why, but your answer made me emotional. Okay. Oh, it made me emotional too. You're telling that story again. <laughs> you know, it's like the reason I love hearing about childhood memories is they are these little moments like that, but they're somehow 
always meaningful where it's remembering somebody's face, remembering somebody's smile, remember the feeling of walking towards someone. And it's just incredible to me, the minds of children and how it shapes us. But I'll stop gushing and go to number two, which hopefully won't make me <laughs> emotional, which is what, <laughs> what's an irrational fear of yours? <laughs> so this one, I was like, wow, we're going for all my neuroses Let's today. So <laughs> is bugs in my hair. Oh my God. So, I don't know if it's necessarily irrational no, because very rational. bugs love me. I don't know. And it's like, it's the weirdest thing. I could be in just the most random place. If I'm with my best friend in particular, he's like on bug duty because he'll just be like, come here. And then there's like a bug. They love me. Mosquitoes, beetles. I don't know what it is. And so anytime something remotely brushes against my skin, I think Ugh. it's a bug or something. It's very weird. But yeah, that's my fear. It's just bugs. <laughs> the bugs in the hair. That's very rational. <laughs> Thank you for validating me, Christine. Ooh. I appreciate that. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, what is the most unique thing about you? This one was so hard because I feel like, and not to be a cop out, but I feel like everybody's unique because no two people's story is exactly the same. So everything about me is unique because I'm me and there's nobody else like me in the same way that you're you and there's nobody like you. So not to be a cop out, but the fact that I exist makes me unique. Okay. That was not only not a cop out, but that was actually incredible life advice for anybody who is listening you don't need something special to make you remarkable because you're you and you're who you are. You're already remarkable. You have everything you need. Like that's an incredible life lesson. Thank yes, you for that. Absolutely. You are very welcome. Thanks for the question. Yeah. This one you've got to have, right? What's your biggest pet peeve? I have like 11. <laughs> <laughs> there, yeah, I've got so many, but breaking it down, it's dishonesty. That's my biggest. Just shoot it straight. Tell me what's going on. I actually did not hire a woman years ago that I was interviewing for a customer success opportunity because she didn't tell me that she was on a performance improvement plan. And Ugh. not that the being on the plan was the problem. It was that she didn't tell me. Mm -hmm. And it made me feel like I couldn't trust her because if that's something that she wouldn't reveal, what else would she not reveal when she's working with customers? So, yeah. Yeah dishonesty. Oh, big one, big one. And number five, and potentially the deepest one, but what was at least one life altering moment for you? I would say a big life altering moment was when I decided to leave journalism. Mm. Because that was all I had ever wanted to do. I mean, since the time I was like, probably 15, I wanted to be a journalist. And I was working at the Miami Herald when I was in high school. And that was my degree. And I went to Northwestern Journalism School, that was like the dream. And I had my whole life planned out until I was 40. And then seven years in, I realized I actually don't like this. Mm. And, but I didn't know what else I could do because it was all I had ever done. And so it was a real humbling moment of just like really reevaluating what are you good at and what do you want to be good at? And then figuring out how to get there. And so that was a huge life-changing moment, but I'm super grateful because I wouldn't be sitting here with you had I not decided to take that leap of faith and, and step away from that comfort. <sighs> Leaning into moments of bravery. I love it. Well, 
we are coming up on time and you're unbelievably remarkable, Romaine. And I imagine that people are going to hear this. They want to get to know you. So where can people go to connect with you, learn more about Articulate? Where do we go to find more you? Absolutely. So they can absolutely find me on LinkedIn, Romaine Buck at LinkedIn. And, or you can just shoot me an email as well directly at Articulate. So I'm there. Go to our website. You'll find me. We're also hiring. If I can do a shameless plug, do it. I need more CSMs. <laughs> <laughs> I need more CSMs because we're building out this team and it's a super exciting time to be at this amazing organization that I'm so grateful to be a part of their journey. And then we've got a lot of work to do and looking for really awesome strategic folks who love and are passionate about helping customers be successful. Would love to talk to you. Reach out to me. Oh, I'm available. But if you want to work for Romaine, now's the time. This is it. Now's the time. <laughs> thank you so much for being an incredible guest on the show. And to everyone listening, thank you for taking time, your most precious asset, and spending it with Taking the Lead. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Romaine. Christina, thank you. It's been such a pleasure. <laughs> You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This episode was brought to you by Sales Assembly. For more information about membership or our free 60-day trial, visit us at salesassembly.com. And if you like what you just heard, please subscribe to Taking the Lead on Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please leave us a review. It really helps people find the show. Thanks for listening.